2: Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be
3: at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other
2: Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible
3: tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012
4: Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For stuff mom never told you listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan. This watershed work recently celebrated its 30th anniversary. It changed views and attitudes and brought a fresh spotlight on female equality. That's The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan, available from Audible. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mom stuff. That's
5: audiblepodcast.com slash mom stuff. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Today, our podcast is an interview. With Grammar Girl herself, Mignon Fogarty. Mm -hmm. And this is very exciting for me because ever since I was very little, um, I have been a total grammar nerd. And it is all my father's fault. He, and he's like this because his father was like this. I don't know what his grandfather was like. I can't attest to that. But my dad always corrected my speech, like every time I said anything. Mm -hmm. And you would think that would be annoying, but I was always like, oh yeah, you're right. It is I, not me. You're right, Dad. And so, yeah, that's how I grew up to be such a grammar nerd. And so this is very exciting.
6: I am quite a grammar nerd myself as well. And I have a, a special love of dashes
5: and semicolons. Mm-hmm. If they're used properly. If they're used people, properly. People, t- people who throw semicolons around like confetti upset me. I mean, it's a, you know, it, it is an intimidating
6: punctuation mark. It is. But yeah, and you do kind of have to handle it with care. Mm -hmm. We are totally grammar nerding. Yeah, we are right now. Uh, But yeah, I was really excited to get to talk to Grammar Girl and really nerd out about grammar and language and had some questions for her about uh, how we, how gender intersects with grammar. And she also answered a burning question that I have had about listeners particular Distaste for the phrase if you will. Ooh, burn! Yeah. I I it's something that the uh, public. The public does not want it. Well, there was a specific episode, um, I wanna say it's why does the sizzle fizzle? And I think it was after that. So a couple of listeners wrote in and they said, Kristen, you are saying <laughs> if you will all the time. It is unnecessary verbal clutter, get it out of there. Ooh. And I went back and listened, and lo and behold, I was if you willin'. <laughs> Left and right. I think you should replace, if you will, with as you wish. As you
5: wish. As you wish, princess.
6: Um. So. So. Yeah. It was fun to talk to the expert about different different kinds of uh, grammatical tics and usage, and also, of course, how Grammar Girl, who is a podcast goddess, mm-hmm. got her start, and she now has uh, is the flagship of the entire Quick and Dirty Tips. Franchise, so it's pretty incredible. She's been podcasting for six years, and she started out as a uh, as a technical writer. Hmm. She has a master's in science, and did then did some more technical writing.
5: Interesting. You don't really hear about science. Sorry, but you don't really hear about science people being awesome yeah. at grammar.
6: Well, that's kind of well, why. That? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's kind of why Grammar Girl even came into being. But I'll let her tell you about that, Caroline. Interesting story! So, um, with, with no further adieu, (laughs) uh, here is my interview with Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl. Grammar Girl, I thought it was very interesting that not only are you an expert, obviously, in grammar, but you also have a master's in science. So, I was curious to know whether or not science and language ever intersect for you these days. (laughs)
7: <laughs> well, there are, there are a few things that come up that r- relate to science and grammar. The most obvious one is passive voice because, you know, most people are taught that passive voice is bad and they should never use it. But in science writing, it's sort of the standard. You know, you'll say something in a scientific paper like, um, samples were taken at five o'clock and ten o'clock. And, um you know in, because you're always the scientist you're always trying to take yourself out of the writing to try and maintain an air of objectivity. But um, even people in science are trying, some people are lobbying to get away from so much use of the passive voice because it can also be kind of hard to read. And then um, another thing that comes to mind is the word data. So data is one of those words that's changing how it, how we use it in English. So um, it comes from Latin and datum is the singular. Um, so... Typically, people say um, they treat data as plural. The data are interesting. But in common use, it's becoming singular. So in the newspaper or or magazine, it might be more common to read the data is compelling. But scientists hold firmly to that uh, plural use of data. So it's not uncommon at all to see data used as singular and plural. And it's more often uh, used as plural in science writing.
6: So for listeners who might not be that familiar with Grammar Girl and what you do, tell us how your podcast and the the Grammar Girl franchise got off the ground.
7: Right. Well, I started Grammar Girl, oh gosh, almost six years ago now. And I was working as a, a technical writer and a science writer. So I was working with a lot of scientists, editing their papers and even ghostwriting some papers. And um, I just noticed them making the same mistakes over and over again. You know, and I I thought, if I have to replace a that with a witch one more time, I'm going to go crazy. So it's almost a little passive aggressive thing. I started a podcast as a hobby, just sort of to get those rules out there. And I thought nobody wants to have a big, long grammar lesson. But if I can put out a five minute quick tip every week about something really useful, you know, like how to use a semicolon or the difference between affect and effect. And if I make it fun and light, then, you know, maybe people will listen, maybe my clients will listen. And it just became much more popular than I ever expected. It was It's just sort of my hobby. And I guess that's something from those days, too, that carries over, because a lot of those scientists were from other countries, and I still hear from a lot of people who, you know, are learning English as a second language, and they have questions, too, so they listen to the podcast, too. So in today's world of texting and tweeting
6: and status updates, where it seems like we're constantly abbreviating our language and throwing out different kinds of slang and using text speak and things like that. Uh, my big question is whether or not grammar has lost its value.
7: Well, in some ways, I guess you could say it's lost its, I wouldn't say it's lost its value, but there, in a lot of the instances in which we write now, like status updates, there's a permissiveness. It's a very informal place to be writing. And we're all writing so much more than we used to because of these informal situations. And so, you know, as always, like, a tweet or a Facebook status update, it's a lot like, you know, a note you used to jot down on a post it and leave on your kitchen counter for your family you know, I don't think anyone would hold you to the highest standards of grammar for those jotted notes. And a lot of people think of tweets and updates the same way. But then they're also so much more public. And people do notice when you use bad grammar, or especially, you know, people just hate it when you get the wrong version of its or your, you know, there have been whole internet memes about making fun of, you know, the your with an apostrophe versus not an apostrophe. So even though, there is that extra sense of informality or permissiveness. It, it, people still notice and they will jump all over you if you make
0: mistakes. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
6: So what what then would you say is the most important reason to pay attention to grammar today? Because I feel like a lot of times uh, grammar is considered sort of stodgy and old school. Um, so why, especially for younger people too, why should we pay attention to it?
7: Well, I you know, for me at least, I often don't meet people in person that I'm working with. Um, and so a lot of business correspondence or, you know, semi-personal correspondence all happens in writing. And so your writing actually is how you're making your impression on people. It's, you know, I, I say it used to be dress for success, and now it's really write for success because people are making all sorts of judgments about you and your level of professionalism and your level of intelligence by looking at the way you write. Um, I know when I'm hiring someone, I go and I look at their uh, Twitter feed and their Facebook updates. I mean, it's, it's, it's really part of your whole presence now. Now, since we talk
6: a lot about uh, gender differences on stuff mom never told you, I have to ask you whether or not you've noticed any gender differences in how men and women use grammar. For instance, uh, do women pay more attention to grammar or uh, do men tend to pay more attention to grammar? Just just curious to know whether or not uh, you've seen any patterns like that.
7: You know, I've been thinking about this and I haven't noticed a difference today between men and women. But what I do hear a lot is from people who have older relatives who are grammar sticklers, and they're almost always women. And I think it's because a generation or two ago, you know, women were the teachers, you know, it was much more a profession that was limited to, to women or females. So, um, You know, I think that a a few generations ago, there was more emphasis on writing and speaking properly, and that came particularly from the women because they were teachers. But today, you know, online and looking at the correspondence between my, my male and female friends, I haven't noticed a big difference. And I'm not aware of any studies. It doesn't mean they don't exist, but I'm not aware of any studies that show that, you know, one or the other are more mindful of their writing.
6: Now, one reason that I'm so glad that I got to talk to you today is because you can help clear up from an expert perspective uh, you can help clear up a question that a male listener wrote in um, a couple weeks ago asking whether or not it is appropriate to refer to women as girls and I feel like this is especially appropriate because you are the grammar girl so
3: what's
7: what's your take on this I know, they do have different connotations, woman and girl. And, uh, I specifically called myself Grammar Girl because girl has, you know, a fun, friendly, light, young feel to it. And grammar can be so intimidating. You know, I wanted a name that was not scary. And girls aren't scary. You know, you don't think of girls as having a lot of power or being nasty or domineering. So I, I think it all depends on the context too. Like I would say, Oh, I'm, I'm going out for drinks with my girls tonight, you know, my friends. But if, You know, Hillary Clinton is waiting in the hallway to come in and meet with some foreign diplomat, you know, to say, oh, there's a girl outside to see you would be incredibly offensive and demeaning. So, you know, I think you need to think about the context in which you're using the word. And, you know, woman definitely carries more of a sense of importance and seriousness. So it sort of depends on what you're going for. It's always easier to call yourself a girl than to have someone else call you a girl.
6: Now, I thought it was interesting. I, I posed this question, uh, women of women versus girl on our Stuff Mom Never Told You Facebook page and received an overwhelming <laughs> response uh most of the time from women saying, No, it's really not that appropriate to to refer to, especially women you don't know as girls, but it seemed like the overwhelming consensus was that one in doubt just refer to us as ladies. So what are your thoughts on the use then of lady, especially in casual reference to women?
7: There may be regional differences because to me ladies sounds very stuffy and it sounds, you know, like the women who lunch are ladies. It just, or, you know, a a guy who's approaching women in a bar might say, hey ladies. Uh, so that can have its weirdness too. Well since we're on the topic of uh, of labels one thing i've noticed that that
6: has irked a few listeners is when we sometimes refer to women as females and obviously that's not an incorrect way to refer to us but some people find it uh i guess too scientific or redundant um so from a grammatical perspective, when is it okay to to use female and uh, when do we need to watch out for potential sexism when it comes to using female as a descriptor or as a noun
7: right I, I mean t- I, I was wondering a minute ago I stumbled over my words and I would think I was flubbing women woman versus female but you know what I tell people is you should never use female when you wouldn't use male. In in the same situation, and for some reason, people are more likely to say, uh, you know, she was, oh, a, a, oh, like there were, there were four females at the at the office. You know, they would never say there were four males at the office. They would always say men. So if you're ever in doubt, I I just thought, you know, the easiest thing to do is just ask yourself, would I say male in this situation? I mean, typically you would say, you know, she's a woman, he's a man. You know, those are nouns. So, um, and a lot of people do find female as a noun offensive. Um, And it's, you you know, going back to science, it's used, (coughs) excuse me, going back to science, it's used more, it is a clinical kind of thing. You know, we might use that in a scientific paper. You might say, uh, you know, four females were seen on the tundra or something like that. But it, it, it has this sense of, talking about animals instead of people, too, which is, I think, part of the reason people find it offensive. So it sounds like
6: the potential sexism of using female as an adjective lies in redundancy or unnecessary
7: clarification. Is that right? Right. There's usually no need to point it out. I mean, unless it's terribly unusual. You know, when you draw attention to it, you're saying that it's unusual for a man or a woman to be in whatever position you're describing. So you better make sure it really is unusual and not just, you know, some stereotype.
6: Now, one last question that I have for you in regard to gender and grammar is something that has come up sometimes in feminist discourse, and that's the question of sexism, latent sexism in English grammar, and specifically uh, the the fact that the English language has he, she, and it, but we don't really have a tidy, neutered pronoun. So... Our knee jerk is to use he or sometimes we have to get clunky about it to avoid using he and pluralize everything so that we can refer to they. So my question is how to, to get around the, the he, she, it issue and also avoid
7: the clunkiness of they. Right. It's a huge problem because English doesn't have a gender neutral pronoun. Um, I I called a baby it once because I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl and the parents got really mad. (laughs) So I do not ever recommend using it. Um, But, you know, it used to be, again, a generation or two ago, we used he as a generic pronoun when we didn't know if we were talking about a man or a woman. But all the major style guides now say you shouldn't use he in that way. It's considered Sexist language now, but it leaves us without a good option. And a lot of people are—you'll—you'll definitely in speech hear people use they in that situation. You'll say, uh, you know, tell the next caller they want a car. So you know that next caller—that's one person—and they is usually a plural pronoun, but they—but the the person speaking is using it because they don't know if the next caller is going to be a man or a woman. So. In that situation, you know, in that particular situation is tricky because you can't make it plural. The 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 usual solution is to make the sentence plural. So instead of saying, "Oh, um, a student should thank uh, his or her teacher when he or she succeeds." You could just say students should thank their teacher when they succeed. So you just make the subject plural and it solves the whole problem. But there are these rare instances where you can't because you have the next caller and it's only one person. It's always only going to be one person. And in that instance, you really should use he or she but if I if I were a betting woman, I would say that in twenty or thirty years they will be acceptable in that use because I think even people who object to it in writing today do it in speech without even realizing it. So it's we just have this gaping hole in our language and it, it's begging to be filled.
6: Now I do have kind of a random question that I was dying to ask you, and this specifically relates to. Uh, podcast listeners and because a few have written in really criticizing me for using the phrase, if you will. And I don't know what it is about this specific phrase aside from the fact that I can, I can understand that it is superfluous and really unnecessary and kind of a filler sort of like what I just used, kind of. Uh, but, but from your uh, perspective as a grammar expert, why does, if you will, anger stuff Mom Never Told You listeners so much?
7: <laughs> well, it's funny because I've never heard this complaint before, and I, it's it's rare for me to hear new complaints after six years, so I was surprised when you told me. But I guess it's not, I don't commonly hear it, you know, on TV or around town either. So you're saying if you say something like, here's some chocolate, if you will, is is that sort of the way you use it?
6: I can't think of a verbatim way that I've dropped it in the podcast. But let's say uh, I'm talking about gender differences and might say that women tend to be more body conscious, if you will.
7: It's probably because, I mean, it's a filler, so it's sort of unnecessary, but it does have a meaning. It sort of changes the meaning of your sentence because it means um, not exactly or um, so to speak or something like that. So it sort of is, is saying, I mean this, but not exactly, or I mean this, but I'm not sure. So it might also bother people that, you know, you're saying something and then immediately undercutting it. Um, But you're right. It's just filler. And, you know, if it's one thing I've learned over the last few years is that people get upset about the strangest things and they get really upset. And a lot of it is about, you know, language peeves. Like whenever I meet someone, they always one of the first things they want to do is tell me their peeves. So everyone has them and they're different for a lot of people. But there are things that just just grate on people. And I guess, unfortunately, you've uh, you've hit on one of those. <laughs> So
6: Grammar Girl, one question on my mind and probably on listeners' minds as well, are there any verbal slip ups that you still make after these many years of podcasting and writing about grammar?
7: Oh yes. Let's see. Um well I I say um and things like that. My podcast is scripted because you know people expect me to get the language right and I, I don't speak perfectly off the cuff. So off the cuff. So, you know, I say ums and you knows and likes uh, in everyday speech. So I always wonder if people are surprised when they meet me after listening to the podcast. They're so much more careful in the show. And um, sometimes I still have to look up uh, lay versus lie. I know the past tense, but uh, laid and lane and the sort of more advanced conjugations, I still have to look those up sometimes.
6: Well, Grammar Girl, first of all, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been a lot of fun. And before we sign off, I just want to know if there are any takeaway bits of grammar wisdom that you would like to offer our podcast listeners out there.
7: I guess the thing I like to tell people is just admit what you don't know. I mean, I have volumes, i have, you know, 30 grammar books. There's, There are so many rules. Nobody can know them all. So don't feel bad or embarrassed about what you don't know. Just admit what you don't know and take the few seconds it takes to look it up and get it right. So, you know, don't expect yourself to be perfect, but, you know, try to get it right. Look things up when you don't know.
6: So thank you so much to uh, to grammar girl for taking the time to chat with us. And um, now she uh, she's she's finally settled the case on woman versus girl. And I will strive my hardest to not use, if you will, and thereby undercut what I'm saying before that. Lessons we can all learn: mm-hmm. grammar, speech, and beyond. So if you have any burning grammar questions or uh, any, any thoughts about my little chat with Grammar Girl, send us an email if you like mom Stuff at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to use proper, proper punctuation. Yeah, because
5: we, we, we won't even read them. <laughs> Otherwise, sorry. Uh, Especially if you've just thrown around semicolons. <laughs> you know, that hurts my feelings.
2: This episode is brought to you by Snagajob.
1: Perfect home sweet home.
6: Uh, And in the meantime, we do have an
5: email to share about our podcast on breakup songs. Yeah, this is from Nori. She says that this is, yeah, in response to breakup songs. Uh, She had some thoughts on the revelation that women in healthy relationships listen to sad, down with love type songs. I am a classically trained singer who also does jazz, bluegrass, and anything I feel like, really. I've always loved singing sad songs, more than happy ones. And in classical music, there is no shortage of suicidal, depressed characters, either in opera or art song. It is so much easier to connect with someone who is completely tortured by love or rejection. And the cathartic release is fantastic. The yearning of the music, the drawing in of your audience to your sadness can be so raw and real. Well, it's way better than tripping through the daisies. Of course, I did go through a life-shattering breakup when I was studying for my bachelor's degree, and that led me to seek out some of this fantastically sad and beautiful music. But now that I'm happily married, my husband and I both still love singing the blues. In fact, Adele's Someone Like You is a regular appearance on our playlists. Thanks. Thank you to everyone for sharing your stories with us. Our email address, again, is
6: momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also head over to the Facebook page, leave us a like, send us a comment, and you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can also follow Grammar Girl if you like. She is at Grammar Girl on Twitter as well. You can check out our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at howstuffworks.com.
4: This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash momstuff. Brought to you by the reinvented
3: 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you Not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
2: PNC Bank. Brilliantly boring since 1865.
3: Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year